I was 16 years old, and our church decided to have a softball team. And a lot of the men and us teenage guys wanted to play. And when we showed up, we realized we have enough for two teams. And so they decided to have an adult team and then have the youth team with a couple of men mixed in with us. And we thought, oh, we got this. We're young. Got in the season, and we... Uh, met up with the, I don't, I think it was the Methodist church. And I remember the guy distinctly. He was a balding guy, a little bit of a belly. He was left-handed. And I thought when I get up to bat, I'm going to school this guy. I'm 16. I'm in shape. So when my time came up to, to bat and I got up there and looked at him and, you know, my head's just racing. And for, you know, we, you, those of you, if you played soft bar baseball, it's a team thing. But when you get up to the plate, it's just you. And I'm standing there looking at him. Now, I didn't wink. I thought about it. Um, but he, he seemed to have a little smirk. Not totally, but I think he's just thinking, he's, he's looking at this lineup of teenagers and thinking, we got this. And they did. Uh, but he came in with that left-handed, and that thing didn't move. It was a knuckleball. And it just came in, and I was mesmerized. Boom, strike. I went, what? Okay. So the next one I fouled off, so 0-2 count. The next one was a ball. The next one, and I'm like, okay, I've got this. And when I went whiff, y'all know what the walk of shame is, right? As you, as you head to the dugout, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, my, of course, my friends are heckling me. And I'm walking back, that, that walk of shame. Uh, they beat us pretty good. It was a rough season for us. Um, Anyway, here we have, and, and Darren kind of unpacked it a little last week, Jesus' triumphant entries behind, crosses looming. He, he's there, and the Pharisees challenge him. We saw it last week when they said, how do we pay taxes? It's kind of like they're going to humiliate and embarrass Jesus and have him do that walk of shame out of the temple. And, of course, you remember last week uh, in the Scripture, Jesus answered it well, perfectly. And so they were the ones that kind of shrunk back. So what we have now is the Sadducees. I'm thinking, the, this was, they were part of the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling Jewish governing council there, and they're, they're a part of that. Uh, they're a smaller group, so you have the religious leaders. You have the Sadducees, you have the Pharisees. The Sadducees were smaller. They were generally wealthier. They were also in charge of the worship at the temple, and I imagine when they were watching this go down and they're thinking, the Pharisees, <laughs> right, they, they're going to school Jesus. Now, we do know uh, they paired up, those two groups, I think back in Matthew 17, they kind of teamed up, or 16, and joined forces. But for the most part, the Sadducees have been just kind of holding back. Mainly, Jesus has been in Galilee. That's where a lot of his teaching, his ministry, it's been going on away. But in Matthew 21, he challenges the temple. Well, that's their domain because they're in charge of worship at the temple. And so they're like, oh, wait a minute now. Now they see Jesus even more as a threat. Um, and they watch the Pharisees go up and challenge Jesus. We saw it last week. But you'd think, well, they're, they're all the religious leaders, right? They're friends. Well, they're not. They they agree. They, saw things very differently. For instance, the Pharisees, they, they saw the Word of God as what it was and what we would call the Old Testament. The Sadducees only saw the first five books as authority, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that's it. 
Everything else, discarded. They only saw those first five books. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Sadducees did not. Now, in the first five books, the resurrection is hinted at, but it's not explicitly laid out in those first five books. So they dismissed it. Pharisees believed there was a heaven and for God and his people. Sadducees, nope. When life's over, you're done. No judgment, no angels. Pharisees believed in angels. So you can see there was a lot of they're on this end, they're on this end. So when they would get at it, they would probably go. There's quite, probably quite a few debates going on throughout the years with this group, these two groups. But here we have them coming together. They see Jesus, he's in the temple. The Pharisees have already missed, and so they've stepped back, and Jesus is still standing, and he has answered well. And so now the Sadducees think, well, it's our turn. Now, you've heard that saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You heard that before? So I can almost picture this. The enemy, the Sadducees are looking at the Pharisees. That's the enemy, but he's our enemy, and they're enemies with him. So now it's almost like they're going to be friends for a little while because they have a common goal of taking down Jesus, the one they both see as their enemy. Let's take a look. All right, 23. Verse 23, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up and questioned him. That same day, so again, that hint, that's in that same setting, Pharisees have, have, have failed and stepped away for a little bit. So it's almost like the Sadducees are now coming up to bat. And it's almost like they're going to look at the JV, the teenagers, the the. Uh, B team, and they're going to say, we'll show you how to stump the man from Galilee. Can you almost picture it? Sadducees are going to step up to the, ba- to the plate, but they're going to challenge him. Um, I love Matthew. He, he says and points out, hey, these ones that say there is no resurrection. Now, when he penned this 30 years after this or so, He's going to remind his readers then, all the way up to today, that the Sadducees were a group that did not believe in the resurrection. And he says that here in the passage. And I just love that. 70 AD or so, when the the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was conquered, the Sadducees faded into history because the temple was destroyed and what little power they had, it was gone and they just basically fell off the scene. And I think that's another reason why Matthew just put that as a little reminder because in centuries down the road, they're like, who, who were the Sadducees again? And he just wants to remind you, they're the ones that did not believe in the resurrection. So he points that out. They came up and they questioned him. Teacher, Moses says, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and wait, raise up offspring for his brother. Now, they address him as teacher, and yes, Jesus was a teacher, uh, but it's not even all-encompassing at all of our Savior. Uh, healer, I mean, we just go on and on on the description. Now, they called him teacher. I think they were just being polite. I'm not sure they were necessarily complimenting him, but they had to address him in some way, so they picked teacher. Moses said, and again, remember, first five books, so they're, they're okay with Moses. He's in there. They trust that. So they're going to question him from those five books, Moses' statement. And that comes from Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. 
That's where they question. So let's, what, is, what does that say? It says, when brothers live on the same property, one of them dies, and one of them dies without a son. The wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife and have sexual relations with her and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for her. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so the name, his name will not be blotted out from Israel. That's their, the beginning of their question, and that's what it, they're referencing in Deuteronomy, and that's leveret marriage. And basically that was kind of a way of, of God inserted this law to help provide for a young widow to give her future economic stability, just an opportunity for her for her future if she if she had a husband who died young and they were childless. And so that was placed there. Uh, that's We don't see a lot of that in the Scripture. We do see it in Genesis 38, uh, Tamar, um, and then uh, Boaz and Ruth. Now, Sadducees wouldn't have counted that. They discarded that, remember. Um, but that's another indication. But by Jesus' time, this is well out of practice. But that's the one thing the Sadducees want to challenge Jesus with is they bring this up. And one thing when I was thinking about this, this, this law and trying to put myself back in their, their, their sandals, and I thought, okay, if I was a younger brother and I had an older brother and he arranged marriage and they're getting ready to arrange and set this up, part of me as a younger brother would be like, what's this lady like? she godly? Who's, who's, who's her family? I'd start running through all that. Now, I wouldn't want anything to happen to my older brother, but you think if that's, if I'm unmarried and I'm younger, there's that potential. So I wonder, did they, those who were going to practice this, were they really thinking that through? Same thing for the lady as she's stepping into, uh, you know, an arranged marriage and a marriage to this man. Is this man a man of integrity and of God? And what are his younger brothers like? I wonder what went through all that. Guess we'll have to ask somebody in the future, right? But back to the Sadducees. For them, remember, they said, boom, when you die, it's extinction. You're done. If, if anything, the only way that you could kind of, quote, live on would be through your children, your legacy. That'd be about the only way. And I think that was possibly one of the reasons they kind of grabbed hold of this, uh, this passage or this, this verse. Um, now, for those that are listening as they ask this question, they're probably thinking, well, they know how the Sadducees believe, and so they're listening, thinking, well, this is kind of what they've been teaching. This kind of makes sense that they would ask him this. Um, maybe they're leaning in. I wonder how Jesus is going to answer this, because those who've been around Jesus have heard him talk about resurrection and eternal life, and a lot of things that have been different or opposite of what the Sadducees have been teaching. So they may have been leaning in. I think what we're going to see just in the next couple of verses, their motive wasn't just to get a simple answer to this from Deuteronomy. They're trying to trap, humiliate Jesus. And they're taking, they're taking it, and we're going to see in these next few verses this scenario, but they're going to magnify, make the, make the most extreme case for this, and then hopefully, and they think they are, going to humiliate Jesus, and he'll just kind of walk, that kind of walk of shame out of the temple because he's been uh, made speechless. And that's, I, I think that's their thinking. So let's see, what do they say? 
They've already kind of referenced Deuteronomy. Starting 25, he said, Now there were seven brothers among us, first got married and died, and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second also and the third, and so on to all seven. And last of all, the woman died. Now here's their fastball. Here's their knuckleball for Jesus. The next verse. In the resurrection, then, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all married her. Now, I love that. Jesus knows. Everybody knows. They don't believe in the resurrection, but when they, it, they, they throw this out there, and then they say, in the resurrection, you can almost kind of sense that, okay, Jesus, suppose resurrection. How's this play out? She's got seven husbands now, and they're all standing there. And Which one is she going to be attached to, all of them? How's this going to play out? How's God going to solve this? Now, in their mind, they're thinking, he can't because there's no resurrection. So they think they've stumped Jesus. They, they think they've got him. Kind of their, ooh, there it is, knuckleball, he's going to whiff. Kind of their drop the Torah moment, and Jesus is going to mosey off, and then they're going to look at the Pharisees and kind of wink like, that's how you stump him. Uh-huh. Oh, they in for a awakening, right? They came up with this scenario, seven guys, one lady. Now, definitely in that culture, it was not acceptable for a woman to have multiple husbands. So that's one reason they're thinking, we're going to get Jesus here on this. Because if he says, well, she's the wife of all of them, then the culture, everybody's listening, go, whoa, 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 that's not right. Because they don't believe it there, and they certainly can't believe it there. So they think they're going to get Jesus on that. Or he's just going to have to say, well, there's really no resurrection. That's kind of what I think is playing in their mind. Now, I, And I wonder on this, did they, because they debated the Pharisees, I wonder if they threw this at the Pharisees at some point in their back and forth. And I wonder if Pharisees had been stumped. I, I almost want to guess that probably, because I think if, They've used this before and stumped the Pharisees. They're probably thinking, we can totally do it to Jesus because these guys can't answer that. So we shall see. Is Jesus speechless? Is he stumped? Is he... uh, uh, mm, Verse 29, Jesus answered them, you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. So he points out those two things for them. You don't know the scriptures, their faulty understanding, and even their faulty understanding of those five books that they have missed. So they're misunderstanding it, and they're teaching it. So they're teaching it wrong, they're understanding it wrong, and Jesus is pointing that out. And then two, they don't know the power of God. And we think, too, this is the God who created the universe with his words. I think resurrecting a dead person is not a problem for a God of that power, right? So he points that out. Verse 30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So Jesus' response, you know, it's quick, you know, they're the ones that brought it up, and he's not going to sit and go and lay out his, his teaching on marriage and, and parenting 
and singleness. He's not going to throw all that out here, but he's going to address it in the context of what they're challenging with, which is pointing to the evidence of resurrection. So he answers it. For they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, some of us maybe get, whoa, 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 wait, uh, there's no marriage in heaven? Now, we've been married 35 years, and I remember way back in the days to think, if God puts uh, Juan and I together to do something for eternity, I'm good with that. I don't know if he will. But we won't be married in heaven like we are here, Jesus says. There won't be marriage. But you think the God of the universe who's making heaven, he's going to take something that's good because he made it, and family, that's good here. But if, he's, if it's not going to be in heaven, he's going to replace it with something way beyond, way better. You think about it. When we're there, all our relationships with our parents, with our kids, with our spouse, uh, friends, all of us in heaven, it'll be perfect relationships, and it'll be it'll be it'll just be incredible, and I think we can rest in that. And so, don't be alarmed when you see that. Yes, marriage is great, singleness is great, being a parent is great, grandparent. And as we do those things, as we do life, and as we do family, let us do it for the glory of God, knowing that when we leave this life, what He has there will be so much better. It's going to be wonderful. Now. We know for marriage, a couple things. You know, one, it's obviously it's uh, for having children, advancing humanity, right? Well, there's no need for that in heaven. And then two, there's for marriage, it's intimacy. It, it, remember in Genesis, it says it's not good for man to be alone. We are wired to be in relationships with others, to be in friendships with others. Thing is, God himself will fulfill that need in eternity. We won't need marriage. We won't need... Now, we'll have wonderful friendships that'll last forever. But God is going to fulfill the needs in heaven, and it's going to be wonderful. Um, Drake Whitechurch said this. He said, the purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, but to prepare us for it. As a matter of fact, you know, the bride in eternity, the bride is the bride of Christ. So it's not a question of loss when it comes to marriage in heaven. It's a question of gain. How that's going to really look and play out, we'll, we'll all see. But we can trust our God, the God of the universe, the eternal God, the timeless God, the all-powerful God, that he has a plan and a place. And he has in eternity where you and I, I don't even know how you measure, measure eternity when you're in it, but we'll look back and go, isn't this amazing what God has done? I remember it back to this. Jesus said, but are like angels in heaven. Now, remember, the Sadducees don't believe in angels, so here's Jesus, and he kind of throws that in. I love it. Like angels, though, catch that. It didn't say we become angels. Wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Great movie. Sorry, when a, when a bell rings, an angel doesn't get his wings. People don't die and become angels. Angels are created beings, but that's not our future. But it says here we'll be like them, and one way we'll be like them is that we won't be married, like they're not married. Jesus is not 
and get it. He's not knocking marriage. He's not knocking relationships. He's not knocking male and female. What he's saying is it's going to be in eternity. We're going to be transformed. It's going to be glorious. You're reading for this afternoon. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. And then write, write this one down. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Read those. You'll be blessed. Verse 31. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead. I love it. It's just like Jesus. He's just coming in. And I can just see everybody's just like, ooh, Sadducees are on the ropes. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? So he's taken their crazy question, all these seven guys, and now who's, who's she married to in eternity? They have bent the word of God. He is bending it back. You know, he could have addressed it with an answer from the historical books, the poems, the, the writings, the prophets. He could have tackled all that and answered their question. You know, he could have went to Genesis 1 and 2, the all-powerful creating God. He could have been in Daniel 12, 2, many who sleep will awake to eternal life, others to eternal contempt. He could have Isaiah 26, 19, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. He could have said Job 19, 26, even my skin will be, has been destroyed, but I will see God in my flesh. Or he could have addressed it with Psalm 68, our God is a God of salvation, and escape death belongs to the Lord. Or Matthew 17, he could have kind of, in his own life, the transfiguration. Here's Moses and Elijah. Moses has been gone 1,500 years, but there he was. Elijah's been gone 900 years. There he is. You know, Peter James John said, yep. They're probably, if he'd have done that, they'd have went, yeah, we saw that. But he, Jesus said, don't say anything about it now, but we saw that. If if they appeared, they're alive. That means there's resurrection. He could have addressed Jairus' daughter in chapter 9, or the son of the widow Nain in Luke 7, or Lazarus in John 11. He could have hit those to all argue that there is a resurrection. But he, he knew who asked him the question, right? It was those who believe in only the first five books. So Jesus answers from within those first five books. See, 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God dead, but of a living. Amen. That verse, you would think kind of in American culture and Christianity that, you know, even probably a lot of uh, folks that don't know the Lord, they've heard of John 3, 16. So you almost say that's kind of that verse. Well, for the first century Jew, Exodus 3.6 would be that. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's kind of their verse. And that's in those five books. So he is telling them a verse that they're versed in, that they have read. And it's in the books that they say they follow. The Torah. And Moses said it. Moses wrote these words. And it didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. Is, because they, they still live. There's still a relationship. There is resurrection. So he's pointing that out from the passage, the books that they, they believe, that they trust. 
So he's correcting them. And now they are realizing probably in this moment, they're like, ooh, Jesus is not speechless. He's not stumped. He's not, how do I handle these guys? How do I answer these guys? He has got it. And all the audience, all those that are watching this and listening are leaning in, and then they're like, I can almost see him when, when Jesus says this. And then they look at the Sadducees to see their, their response. And the Pharisees are like, uh-huh. Now they're probably thinking, well, what are we going to do next, which we'll, I think, grab next week because Pharisees are going to try again. But for the Sadducees, they have, they have been called out. See, God's God with Abraham was an eternal covenant. It didn't end when Abraham died. And here's the God of Israel, even in those five books, that he would do all those things to save his people, but then couldn't save them, had no plan to save them from death. He did have a plan, and that's what Jesus wants them to see. Verse 33, and when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Believers in the room, I think we will be astonished when we step into eternity, and then we'll be astonished for eternity (laughs) over and over again. We're just going to be amazed. But here, these crowds, they went, oh, my goodness, he answered that so well. And, of course, a lot of them, they've been hearing him talk about resurrection, and he's answered those who totally opposed it. So who do you think is doing the kind of shuffle off in shame? It's not Jesus. It's those religious leaders. Wayne Lamb was looking out his window. It was a stormy day, and he's at the kitchen window, and they had a, he had a medium-sized tree right there outside the window, and it's just rain, and the wind's whipping, and he, something, and he kind of looked, and he saw there was a bird clinging to a limb, and that limb was just like this, and he's just, he's just totally chill. He's hanging on, but he's good, even in the storm. Believer, when that storm of death comes our way, We can hang on even as we face it because we know we will live because there is a resurrection. And for those in Christ Jesus, it'll be to step into eternity, into heaven. For those who reject and God is patient, he's wanting them to turn and trust his son, repent of sin, come to faith. But if they reject him, there is eternal life, but it'll be horrific. Um. The next, later in that season that I was telling you about at the beginning with our softball team, we were struggling so bad they sent a few more men our way to try to help us. Uh, one of those men was my dad. My dad was 40 years old at the time, and so he was playing with us, and it was late in the season. Um, I got up to bat. I'd been humbled a few times. I'd gotten some hits, but I'd struck out too, still had to do walk of shame occasionally. I got up, it was, I remember my, one of my good friends from high school was playing second base for the other team. They were one of the teams that had, I think they lost one game maybe. And we were playing them, and he threw that pitch, and I hit it. I just hit a line drive right between um, right and left center. And it was a hard shot, and, and it was hard enough that the guys thought we can cut it off. So they're coming in. Well, they didn't just right. It went by him to the fence, and, and we were down by... I think we were down by two, and there was a guy on. So as we're running around, I am, I'm, I'm going full blast. And I'm coming around third. He's waving me, and I'm like, really? So I just I keep going, and as I, I corner my eyes, I'm heading into home. I see the ball coming in, 
And so I just lay down on the slide and I slid in under the tag and was safe. And everybody, all my teammates cheered, all us teammates, because we've been winless at that point and now we, we might win this game. And they jumped up and I'm just, one, I'm just like, this was awesome. Um, so I'm hopping up and as everybody's running to me, but you know, the one thing that I'm thinking then is everybody's running up. Is he, and I saw him coming with a big smile on his face. And even though all my friends and we're all celebrating and we still had a little extra innings to play, but I just wanted to see my dad. And when he hugged me, he said, great hit, great job. And that so blessed and encouraged me. I still remember this to this day. Um, I need to ask him if he remembers that. He remembers the team because he hung up the cleats after that season. So he's done, but I felt very blessed to play one season with him. Folks, there is a resurrection. So in Christ, be joyful, be encouraged, live hard, be the best neighbor ever. Let's love people. Let's point people to the Savior. You're wrestling with questions of faith and did this happen? Did Jesus live? Is there a resurrection? Is there life after death? There is. And I would encourage you to repent of sin and trust Christ. And a number of us in here would love to talk if you have questions. And we don't always have every answer, but we would love to share with you and pray with you. Um, I'll be right over there. Uh, Darren will probably be on this side of the room. If you'd like to talk to somebody for a minute as we sing, I'd encourage you to do that. Love for you to come to know this great God that we love and serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and for the, the blessing it is to, to be once again reminded that there is life after death, that Jesus came, that he lived, and then not long after these teachings, Lord, he was on the cross and giving his life in our place because of our sin. And he who lived a perfect life and did not have sin in any way, thought, action, or word, Lord, went to the cross and died the death that we deserve. Lord, thank you for sending your son, the eternal son, put on flesh and bone and died for us. And Lord, victoriously, Jesus rose from the grave and he is not dead, but alive and will be alive forevermore. Lord, we just love and are thankful that you would send your son for us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we uh, minister as we love on others, that we'll point them to this powerful God that can raise the dead. And Lord, may you continue to move mightily. And Lord, as our culture and our world is stormy, that we'll just cling to you and know, Lord, that when we die, we will live in your presence. Amen.